here's what's not included. We are not putting tuxedos on the cows. We are not turning them to hamburger. And, and a lot of this challenge often comes with, from you might have had a lot of conversations and a good understanding with your liaison, but that person has a bunch of peers who assume that the tuxedos are going to be there or that the goat milk is there. This is the Fearless Pricing Podcast, where we meet and talk about real-life pricing experience. I'm your host, Philip Fucic. Hello, and welcome back to the Fearless Pricing Podcast. Today, we have Ruben Swartz. An ex, an ex programmer that turned into a sales guy, sort of combination. You know the kind of people that everybody thinks have it all figured out with you know pricing, and everybody throws money at them. And well, it's interesting. Ruben, hi, welcome to the show. Phil, thanks for having me. Great to be here. I don't think I've ever been a sales guy. As far as I know, I haven't been in anyone that people throw money at. Because if they do, I, I try to be ready and catch it. But I am a, a programmer, and I was working on enterprise sales and marketing software, specifically around pricing. And I ended up starting a consulting business to help clients with this because I got frustrated that by the time I got involved, the PowerPoint people had made their PowerPoints and their strategic plans and all that without really understanding this technology. And I felt like everyone was working twice as hard for half the benefit if we could just get the strategy and the business process and the technology all on the same page. So that was really fun and interesting. And I like to think that we did great work for our clients. We got called back to do other projects. We got referrals. But I struggled a lot with my own sales and marketing and even my own pricing. Definitely an ongoing experience. And hopefully some of that pain can translate into benefits for your listeners so they don't have to go through it the hard way like I did. And then later on, I had twins and wanted to get off the road. And I accidentally ended up building what I call the fun anti-CRM for independent consultants who love serving clients but hate selling because that was the position I was in. And I realized a lot of the struggles I went through were because I knew I needed help with sales and marketing. So I thought I should just copy my successful clients Right, I'm getting paid to sit in the room with some of the top sales and marketing people on the planet. Surely I just take good notes and copy what they do and everything will be great, right? Right. Not at all. And of course, I'm part of that sales and marketing industrial complex that gives that advice to these big companies. And it may be great for those big companies, but it's not great for the independent right. consultant. They need a different way of thinking about things and doing things. So that's what led me to the, the current stage of my journey. Right. By the time you got to the current stage of your journey, you had more than one interesting what I should have charged story, you know, slash nightmare. I went from the hourly to project-based, value-based pricing transition. I think that's really important. If you haven't done it yet, by all means do it. But even then, sometimes I didn't have a full grasp of the value that I was delivering. Right. And I was not able to ask the right questions to figure out what was really going on. And so I remember there were a handful of projects that I had signed. We were doing good work. We were getting paid reasonable amounts, project-based, but I freaking hated it. And every time I got the phone call and I saw the customer's name, I dreaded it. And so one of the things that I realized was I need to price not just based on what the spreadsheet says and the profitability or whatever, but I want to price things such that when the phone rings and I see my customer's name, I am happy to answer it. And I think that changes everything because when we're happy to do the work, 
we show up better, we, show we up. have a better rapport with the client. And usually this means charging more. Char Although in some cases it could mean charging less, but also limiting scope in a way that they're not going to be calling you. That's fine too. The thing is we don't want to end up in that sort of proverbial lower left quadrant where we're not charging enough and they're calling us and bugging us and being irritating. So it's a combination of pricing appropriately right. and also scoping appro appropriately, setting expectations appropriately. I'm not trying to like pry where I don't belong so that I can screw the client and extract every last nickel from them, right? There's no need for them to be defensive. But if I'm going to help them as best I can, it's not only in my interest, but it's my duty to understand what's valuable to them and what isn't important. Because sometimes there's a bunch of stuff that they kind of want done that they assume that we're supposed to do that I'm like, oh, I'm not really excited about this, that you don't have to do at all. You could just skip all that and get all the benefits and everyone's happier. So it kind of yeah. goes back to before you even start the project, before you even think of what the price should be, what are you trying to achieve and what does it take to get there? And if there's stuff that has to happen that you're not excited about, well, can the client do it? There were some places where they would have cheaper consultants, sort of basically, you know, hired hand virtual assistant types, but at a corporate level, and they would do a lot of the grunt work, right? It was a lot cheaper than having us do it, and it didn't drive us nuts. So everybody won. But if I hadn't been willing to really dig in, I wouldn't have discovered that. I would have either not priced it appropriately, so I would be angry that I was like stuck behind the eight ball and all this data transformation or whatever, or the client would say, this is nuts. Like, why are we paying this much for something that I can go have my team do for a quarter of the price? When you have the conversation, just in a friendly collaborative way, you uncover these things, then you can price appropriately. Everyone ends up a lot happier. And I think when we're professionals, obviously it's great when the project goes perfectly smoothly, right? Everybody loves that. But yes, almost every project I can think of, whether it's me doing a project for a customer or me hiring someone to do a project for my business or to do something around my house, like something happens and it doesn't go perfectly smoothly, right? Like that's just the nature of things. And in that moment, I want to feel like I'm being respected as a professional who's trying to solve a problem. I care about my client's success and I want to solve their problem. And we're working on it as adults in a good spirit, having a good time despite whatever just came up instead of, oh gosh, you know, I feel like I'm getting chiseled down here or they feel like I'm chiseling them down and so on. It's a much more collaborative way of looking at it. And, you know, I don't know why we don't talk about this very much, but I'm a big fan of pricing for happiness. Okay. So two things. What's the mistake that you wanted to, to tell us about what's, what's the pricing mistake? The pricing mistake is not pricing for happiness. It's pricing for what I thought I needed to hit to get the business without understanding what it was going to feel like when I got that phone call and without understanding what I didn't necessarily have to take on, like that I was making myself miserable for no good reason. Yes. Awesome. The second thing is, the second thing is, how did you solve for that? So, just the, the initial conversation, or just the price hike, or a combination of things? How did you solve it's it? It's really a combination of things, and part of it was realizing okay. 
that I had built up this sort of weird monster in my head, like, okay, now I'm in sales mode. And everything got kind of weird and awkward. And I would, I had this like shelf of books on sales, you know, the 13 ways to overcome objections and all that crap. And when I was actually doing the work with a client, it was like people just trying to solve a problem together. I could speak very easily. I had no trouble telling someone, hey, I think that approach has some big problems. We might want to think about doing it this way, et cetera. But for some reason in the sales cycle, I got all wrapped around my own thoughts. And I thought, you know, if I was talking to a friend about this stuff, I would show up very differently. And I would actually ask a lot more questions because I would feel okay, like, because I, not just okay, but it would be like my duty to make sure that my friend got the right results. It was like, why am I not treating my prospects that way? Right? I'm not like bringing over free candies or anything like that, but it's like, I should really know what the heck they really want to achieve. And I should be yes. willing to ask questions and I shouldn't worry about like, you know, looking silly or bugging them if I have to repeat a question because I didn't quite get the answer or I want to delve to the next level, et cetera, right? Like if I show up at the doctor and I'm like, hey, I think I need shoulder surgery and they're like, great, here's a quote, that would be terrifying, right? Like they're supposed to yes. prod you and poke you and do a whole bunch of tests and ask you a bunch of questions because they and want you to you know be healthy. If if so you you rely on them to tell you no if you don't really need that exactly right if uh, it it's an important part this is one of the big differences between commoditized services and expert services because in commoditized services the worst thing you can say is no to a client so you know uh, we we were terrified of the french waiters that that spit on you <laughs> if you order the wrong wine, right? Because, and I mean, those people are experts. Don't get me wrong. But uh, that shouldn't happen, right? My order is my order. I'm going to order whatever I want and you can just say, you know, how fast, right? <laughs> right? This is not our role. Yours or mine or most of, of, of my listeners. That's not... Our role is much more akin to the surgeon. So people come with a problem. Well, they come with a symptom. So they have a headache and it could be too much ice cream and it could be something serious. And we're supposed to find which one mm -hmm. it is, right? So, so, so the prescription can be everything from a go take a lie down to immediate surgery. And, you know, there's a lot in between those two things, right? So, so it's like, like you said, it's our, it's our duty to, to say no if the client doesn't really need this, which is completely antithetic, uh, heretical to sales, right? You don't say no when the client wants to buy something, right? The, the, the worst thing that can happen is for them to say no in sales. The funny French waiter story when I was young and I probably looked like I was a backpacker even though I was working on a project in France, went into a restaurant for dinner, snooty French waiter, the guy who owned the place, he was you know, just a typical like not very happy with us and we asked him what wine we should get and he's, you know, made some big show about, well, we have this bottle, but of course it is not for you kind of thing. And we're like, okay, we'll, we'll take that. And because uh, the client was paying for it. 
And uh, he, his whole attitude changed instantly. He took all the cutlery away. He all took the, the wine glasses away. He brought us really fancy cutlery and wine glasses and treated us like princes for the rest of the night. <laughs> it was a trigger. Very cool. Very cool. That's a, a cool experience. But what you are describing is something that I sometimes call fit-seeking, much more than mm -hmm. sales, right? Because you would rather not work on a bad fit project because that's going to bite you in so many different mm -hmm. ways. It's better to just refer this to somebody who has that specialty and, you know, be happy that you referred it to them. And then maybe that person refers somebody else to you mm -hmm. because you're the good fit there, right? So that's a very different approach from sales, as you said, and corporate sales uh, especially, where, you know, getting the sale, always be selling, as you said, all of those books, for you know, the tips and tricks for crashing through defenses. We don't want that. We don't need that. It's, and it's not profitable. So, so it's not about just, you know, we don't want to work like that. No, it's literally not profitable, right? Before we continue, I'd like to suggest two things. Firstly, if this is the first time you're tuning in, I'd love for you to subscribe and hear the next story in a week. And second, if you feel you could do with a little more fearless pricing content, look in the show notes for the link to the popular, short, and sometimes funny bi-weekly newsletter. That's it. Let's get back to the show. Well, a lot of those... <laughs> it's a bad thing. A lot thing. of those situations, you have a corporate sales rep who is not responsible for what happens after the deal is signed. All they want to do is get the deal signed, right? And then someone else, someone yep. like you or me, is responsible for delivering it. And that's why I get irritated. When you are the salesperson and the delivery person, you know how screwed you're going to be if you screw yourself by taking on the wrong business. And that's the part of the, the uh, thing that you said, uh, a different way of thinking, right? When you're a so solopreneur, the, bu the buck st stops here, right? <laughs> There's nowhere to go, right? And then you have to, uh, you have to find a way to, if you're onboarding a client, it has to be a good fit. Mm -hmm. And that has all of these consequences, right? Right. And... I'm wondering, so you said you, you really hated project-based. No, uh, no, I didn't hate project-based, but I had to do it right. Ah. I hated hourly-based. I moved to project-based. That was a big improvement. But if I didn't do it right, obviously, there's a bunch of ways project-based can bite you in the butt. And it's typically like yeah. late in the thing, late in the project where someone's calling you and wanting something different. And you're like, that's not in there. And they're like, I thought it was. Uh, right? Yes. And so you have to be careful about all that. And I think it's fine to to say, you know, we're not going to do the entire thing right now. We're going to break it up into little chunks so that everyone's on the same page and no one's wasting effort, no one's wasting money, and everyone can be happier. It, it, so, so a general term for all of that is scope creep, but there, there's different kinds, right? Some of them you do, some of them the, the, the client does. So, so the classic is the scope creep where let's say that the project was to deliver two cows to the client. So just to keep it simple. So scope creep would be, we said two, two cows, but I expected three. Like that. that's classic. Uh, and then you have feature creep, which is especially prominent in, in, in software development, where they 
say, well, yeah, but we expected the cows to also be able to produce goat right. milk, right? Because that that that's logical. That goes without saying yep. that we also want, yeah. And then uh, there's of of course the business creep. They thought they wanted it this way, so they wanted the two cows, but they actually want them, you know, turned into hamburgers first. Right. That's yep. That because the higher corporates at, and of course the hope creep, which is you deliver something really fast. The, so the first feature comes out really fast, and now they expect of you. So w when I worked in IT, we had a bunch of users that were not really at home with computers in general, and we showed them wireframes, so pictures, right? Photoshop, and they expected, oh, so 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 everything is done. You showed right. this to to us, right? They had no, no notion, and of course, sometimes. We're also guilty of adding things that nobody asks us about. Yep. Sometimes documentation is enough. Or gold plating. So, which, which means, you know, the, the cows need to be delivered in tuxedos and you expect the, the client to pay for that because you spend so much time dressing up the cows, right? So all of these things, some of them come from us, some of them come from clients they all prey on the uh, um, poor little scope in that uh, uh, per project based and that you have to pay attention to that right so how do you price for happiness well today? I think you hit on a lot of these things and and I don't know if you've seen my sort of default fill in the blank proposal template but a lot of these lessons are baked yep. into that where huh. there's a section that includes here's what's not included Right, we are not putting tuxedos on the cows. We are not turning them to hamburger. And, and a lot of this challenge often comes with, from you might have had a lot of conversations and a good understanding with your liaison, but that person has a bunch of peers who assume that the tuxedos are going to be there or that the goat milk is there or whatever. If you don't specify it, you put your champion in a tough spot because even though they know they should have specified it, but now like they're on the hook with someone else. So always lay those assumptions out really clearly. And if there are things that you're expecting them to do, like we can't do this until you get the data from your Oracle database and blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, we are not responsible for any time overruns, cost overruns, et cetera, et cetera. Like just make it really yep. clear. And it's not like one of those like legal gotcha kind of things. It's just, we're trying to solve this problem. Here's how the team has to work together to do this. We all want to get to the same place. Let's just make it really clear and explicit. And going back to something we talked about a little earlier, the places where it's not a great fit, we want to be aggressive and saying, hey, I don't think you need surgery, right? Like you seem fine. Like it's okay. It's not that big a deal. We see much worse than this all the time. And sometimes people will say, oh, you're right. Thanks. I really appreciate the perspective. And some people yeah. will say, ah, you know, what I forgot to mention is blah, 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 blah. And then you're like, oh, okay, now I get it, right? There was this whole layer that they didn't feel the need to share because they weren't expecting someone to say, you don't need to do this, right? To push back. And, or to say, you know, if you do this, it's such a commodity issue. Like there's no money in it for me is kind of also what you might be thinking, right? Versus, yes, oh, now I understand the real implications. We need to do this. Here's how we need to do it. And, and I understand that there's a certain amount of pricing power because it's actually an important problem. So when in yeah. doubt, ask. <laughs> yes. 
That's a good. So right. And how do you come to 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 the? So I'm not asking you for an exact sure. formula. But so there's costs, mm-hmm. and that's the spreadsheet yep. part. And yes, you have to cover that, right? But so so how do you know if, if you've gone happy enough? If you've gone high enough with your price. Well, I think a lot of it comes down to how carefully have you scoped it because it's the unexpected things that you're really on the end up being on the hook for that tend to kill your happiness. And setting expectations appropriately like, oh, by the way, I don't want you to call me at nine o'clock at night and expect to have a conversation with me, right? You're in Europe. This is the kind of thing that's really important for you, I imagine, is you're trying to <laughs> be a good dad and spend time with your kids and all that. Some projects you might have to be on call in the middle of the night. Like I've taken conference calls with people around the world in the middle of the night here where I had my babies and I was trying to feed them and be on a conference call and all that, but not something I want to do typically, right? And if I'm not getting paid for for it the way I want to be paid for it, I'm going to be really unhappy. So I think some of it is just a, you know, what does your gut tell you? And the other thing that I think is, is hard, it's like, I don't think there's any such thing as the perfect price. There's prices that are generally good, prices are generally bad. You can offer different options in the same proposal. I'm a big fan of doing that when you don't know exactly what the right solution is and what's going to make people happy. But don't ever put something in the proposal where you're like, gosh, I hope they don't pick that one, right? Like, oh yeah, they're going to pick that one and you're going to be unhappy and it was your fault and I've done that, right? Like, oh, here's the cheap one or whatever, or here's the one where we have to be on site all the time or whatever the thing is that I really don't want to do. It's your job as a business owner to put forth options that you're happy with and to let the prospect only, to, to only put right. forward options that you would be happy right. with. And maybe there maybe you're in a disastrous you're situation. Disastrous you're desperate situation. and you know, you need to raise money for your kid's kidney transplant or whatever. And so you know, maybe you have a different set, hopefully not that dramatic, but you have a different set of priorities. And then you just have to say, Hey, I'm happy because even though this project kind of sucks. It's letting me do the thing that I that is really important to me financially. That's fine, right? But don't deliberately put yourself in a situation where you're like, gosh, this sucks. Like if you want someone to just tell you what to do and not care whether you're happy, go get a job, right? It's your business. Yes. So you get to decide the terms under which you're going to do business. And the prospects do as well. And if you do a good job of listening to them and finding the right ones, you're going to have great areas of overlap and agreement and have a good time and, and get to do fun things. And, you know, the other thing that I found, and you've probably seen this as well, is when you do a better job of this, not only are you happier because you're making more money, but you get a lot more respect from the clients. You yes. get treated like a peer. Um, you sometimes get treated like a guru and they listen to you. They try not to bother you. They don't treat you like the commodity people that they kick around. And that also makes your life a lot better and happier. Yes. And their life as well. Absolutely. Because, you know, if you try to treat your doctor like a waiter, you're not going to have a good time. In general, it's a bad idea, right? And it's obvious with a surgeon. It's much less obvious with an accountant. I've uh, worked with so many accountants who get kicked around and they're just really good, mild-mannered people yeah. that don't want to respond to this, but it's a really bad idea, you know? It's like poking the palace guard in Buckingham Palace. So he's not allowed to respond, but it's 
basically a very bad actor. And that's the person doing your taxes. You better be careful. Yes, and knows all of your dirty right. laundry. So, yes. I want to circle back to things that never go smoothly, right? In the real world, there's always going to be something. So, so that it can be something with the client's business. It can be something your business. It can be something with your private life. But it's always going to be something, right? So, I'm a big fan of pricing that in. So, let's say most projects have sort of just in case kind of kind of a price tag right it's not much but it's a little higher than it would be normally because i know that out of 30 or 50 projects two or three i'm going uh, uh, there's going to be a lot of trouble i i can't foresee which ones but then it's at the end of the year, I'm always happy. Even if two or three projects were deeply unprofitable, the rest were profitable enough. So not that expensive that the clients would care, but profitable enough that they cover the two or three unforeseen, mm-hmm. uh, unforeseenly bad mm-hmm. projects, right? And this way, I don't have to despair about so i set the price i i I set the fixed price how do i now do this because there's no good way once you set the prices fixed and say yeah but you know it took a lot of time or it took a lot of cost or it it you just do the professional thing and you know let the other projects eat that and then the client is happy because they know they, they kind of expect trouble and there's no trouble and they say, oh, this guy's professional. And next time, things get better. And you get a recommendation, and you would know all about that with recommendations and stuff, right? That's so, so, sort of one of the main channels for solopreneurs of, of all kinds, right? Recommendations. I usually say to clients, the main way in which I'm going to get money from this project is all the recommendations that I'm going to get because you're you're going to be happy, right? That's the idea. So the the money that the client pays me directly, that's all well and good. But the real profitability is me not having to sell mm-hmm. because I just get recommendations. That, that's the idea. Right. And I one more question that I have for you is if you're trying to price in a you know price for happiness how does that affect your competitiveness because that's a question that i get very often so how do you feel that affects your competitiveness i think people who show up happy have a huge competitive advantage and as an engineer and sort of introvert i didn't appreciate this but it is night and day right the client knows this person is either going to be in my office or even if they're remote, someone I'm going to be talking to a bunch of the time. Like just as we're evaluating our clients and thinking, oh, this person's raising some red flags, they might be a pain in the neck. They're doing the same thing with us. And so it kind of goes back to what you were saying about like that one unprofitable client that's making you unhappy. That energy doesn't just like drag you down in that project. It bleeds into all your other interactions. 
we just can't help it, right? Like it's so hard to, you can't completely compartmentalize that kind of stuff. So being able to show up and happy this frou-frou term, I don't know if it's, it's really the right word, but it's like, I'm engaged. I'm in, in that flow state. I'm glad I'm here. You can sense good energy when people have good energy yeah. and you can sense bad energy or kind of fatigue or negative energy. We want to be showing up with that good energy. And I think another important thing with this is realizing that oftentimes as consultants, especially if we're working with much larger clients, we can move so much faster than them. I used to kill myself to be like, oh, you want this thing done in a month? Great. But they didn't really need it done in a month. They needed it done in three months or six months or whatever. So going back to those initial conversations, figure out when they really need it. Because often you can price that six-month project. And, and in their head, they're thinking it's a six-month project. So whatever Ruben's charging, that seems pretty sure. reasonable. But I'm only working on it a third of the time. And I've got other things happening in the middle, right? So I'm not starved if there's a bottleneck on, on this one. There's other work to do. I'm not completely stressed out. You know, I may, depending on how much, how many projects you take on, you could end up stressing yourself out. But the idea is you can make more money without having to work a linear amount more time because you're pricing it appropriately and you're delivering great results for people who are thrilled because you always hit your deadlines. Because for you, the deadline's like much shorter. And then again, yeah. everyone ends up in a good place. It's, it's an important realization that the clients don't really care if you're working all the time for them or whatever. They want to see the result and they want to see it within the, within the time frame mm -hmm. that you set. And that's it. So Usually. Some um, of the bad clients, like I had one client yeah. who was like, oh, no, you can't do it that way. You have to sit in this particular chair for 40 hours a week. And I was like, oh, well, that's not going to work. We're not a good fit for each other. Other than that, we were perfect. <laughs> exactly. But they were like, you have to sit in this chair. And like, no. I would, so, so, so I, I would genuinely ask, because at this point, I already lost this client. Well, you know, you can't lose a client you never had, right? But so, so the conversation is, is basically over. So there's no really, no harm in actually saying, if I could deliver what you ask of me by waving a magic wand right now in front mm -hmm. of you. So you can see me not try. Yep. You can see me not work. You can see me yep. wave a magic wand and poof, you have everything yep. you wanted. Would you still pay me? I had that conversation. Probably. They said, no, you have to sit in the <laughs> chair. Because okay. they had their own internal constraints, which budgeted, they only had budget for someone to sit in the chair. They didn't have budget for, now, in theory, could I have gone, found some gatekeeper, whatever? Probably. But I didn't want to deal with these people. They sounded crazy. That sounds crazy. I, I have to say, <laughs> as, as soon as they s said no. So I understand it's political. I, I understand. So it's, it's a policy thing. It's a right. Absolutely not a good fit. Thank you so very much. Right. Or I would multiply my price significantly and see what happens. Because like I said, I already lost this client. So, and to, to much chagrin, a couple of times I multiplied my price by like six and they still said yes. And I'm like, 
Well, were were you happy at that point? Ish, yeah. you know? Ish. I was happy after it was all done. And, you know, at least you know why. Right. At least you know why you're doing this to yourself. And it's a limited time and fine, right? Fine. So recently, I got offered to to work on a big project for a startup, but I have to be in Silicon Valley for three months. And I was like, no. However, then we started talking about prices. Fine. Fine. Right. Fine, I'll go to San Francisco. Okay. So, so uh, it's not a done deal yet. But if you insist that much, yes, we're talking about it. It, it of course, it isn't scalable to 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 infinity, right? And I wouldn't stay. So, for the same amount of money, I wouldn't stay for three months mm-hmm. more. Absolutely not. But the. This could happen and I would be yeah. happy about it, right? Thank you very much, Ruben. Where can people find you? Well, thanks for having me. Always a f- fun time sharing some pricing war stories. Uh, you can find me and my anti-CRM at mimarin.com. That's M-I-R-A-N.com. And you can also find me at salesfornerds.io. That's my podcast, or you can find that wherever you listen to find podcasts. Very cool. Thank you very much. And... Thank you, dear listener. See you next time. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, simply subscribe. Until next time, your host, Filip Vujic.